Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the final episode of Spring Quarter. This is Death or Apology. Uh, my name is Misha, and I had a fun fact. Oh, I've been playing so much video games this weekend. It's like bad for my health. It's bad for my grades, but how about you? Hi, guys. It's Jeffrey, and I've been stalking Kickstarter to find dating sims to uh, back because I'm just a bored, lonely soul. You can tell how my love life is going right now. We're having a really productive final season, as you can hear. (laughs) But just a few starting announcements. Our summer schedule will be Fridays at 8 p.m. This will be starting on June 10th, so four days from when this episode is releasing. Please look out for that. We're going to be talking about vampires and Today we're talking about Godzilla, but before we get to that, our question of the week is, what is your favorite supernatural creature or monster? It's like a hard question for me because I love so many, but if I had to narrow it down, I would probably go with either the classic vampire or I would go with, a, um, I've always liked the evil mermaid, not like the little mermaid, but like the ones where they like, like capture someone and they'd be like, oh, I want to marry you. And then Sorry. you get away but they're like creepers. Like, I like the scary mermaid vibe. A siren? No, a siren lures you to the death. Um, uh, a scary mermaid, like in some of the European legends, they like bring humans down to their cave and try to convince them to stay with them. It's very creepy. Like, or, Wait, Misha, have you heard of the changeling? It's like when the fairy replaces, the fairy takes the human baby as their own and they give them a fairy baby. Oh, interesting. That's a changeling. That's an also a really interesting one. I love any story with that. But I'm going to go with vampire just because they're immortal. They're pretty. The only downside is you have to drink blood, but like some people deserve it. Mm. I'm thinking really hard. We're going to have to cut out like a lot of blank space. But I was thinking it's two very specific ones. So like either like a Medusa type character. I just think that that's cool. Or like a Gorgon. Or... What? A gorgon that's like people call her subgenre of people gorgons like anyone with like snake hair oh interesting or have you seen the labyrinth pam's labyrinth no the like 80s one with jim henson no so but my mom will like this so there's this one part there's this musical song called like chili down and if you watch the movie there's these certain puppets and they're red and they're like green screened into the movie horrible editing and I love it I love them so much it looks like Elmo if Elmo were like really skinny and like tall and had like a big face whenever I think of scary monster I think of the other mother the bell dam from Coraline have you ever seen Coraline see I never saw it as a kid I saw it my freshman year of college and I was really like not impressed by it I think well it doesn't get scary to like one scene like this is the part I actually find scary is when she goes like sh- like she like just transforms and becomes like a skinny legend spider like you're like you know what the Slenderman is also iconic but like we don't have time to talk about her yeah no let's get back to Godzilla I want to specify that we're talking about the 1954 like the first Godzilla none of yeah. the others we put this in the notes but like off the top of my head why we're talking about this is for one it created like the love of kaiju films in Japan, I would say. So kaiju is monster in Japanese. It also brought special effects to the forefront of the film industry because before this, there was some, but like no one like cared that much until Godzilla because Godzilla made like monsters and it made trying new things. Like all the destruction in the film 
really made it so like people were more ambitious and doing like special effects and all this stuff in film so and i would say like godzilla is like the most iconic monster in film and also i also just wanted to give a quick um like little post-mortem not child but like pay tribute to akira takarada who sorry takarada sorry i said that in way too fast and it sounded horrible um he plays the lead character hideto ogata he tragically passed away this year on march 14th so we're gonna give a moment of silence to him i wanted to mention him because he has like a really famous quote that i think is one of the most funniest things i've ever read so he said um being a newcomer i formally introduced myself on the set my name is akira takarada i'll be playing the lead pleased to meet you all in a very loud voice the head lighting technician at the studio said idiot you're not the lead the lead actor is godzilla i said yes of course and he put me in my place <laughs> he would later become the king of kaiju films besides god he started in a bunch of godzilla then he was in um king kong he was in one of the king kong films and then he was in a bunch of kaiju films in japan and then he also did a lot of dubbing so for English films to Japanese so he was Dr. Doolittle and he was Jafar in Aladdin and if you want by the way if you guys want to watch the film we're talking about you can find it on Criterion or on HBO Max if you have either of those so we would highly recommend you check it out I don't think you're going to be spoiling anything but we will have no, like will. points that might be like extremely light spoilery but. I think like right now, like in the earlier points of the episode, it won't be too spoilery, but towards the end, as we're like, you know, getting more into it, it'll yeah. become more if, if we do, we'll put like a warning. Yeah, yeah. Exit now. So. I mean, you're you're getting the warning right now. <laughs> if you haven't watched this movie from 1954 yet. <laughs> yeah. And even if it is spoilers, you should watch it anyways, in all honesty. Yeah. It's like a must watch. I would consider it like if you say Mean Girls is a must watch, Godzilla is a must watch. I've never seen Mean Girls. Misha. We're gonna have to- <laughs> <laughs> always, always like this. Going into this film, this was actually my first time seeing Godzilla. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I watched it because there's like a lot of deep kind of questions you can kind of get from the movie that I wasn't expecting because it's a monster film. You don't really know what to expect with those type of films. Also, I really liked just some of the special effects were so uncanny because it's an older movie that's really funny. There's a point where Godzilla has googly eyes. Yeah. There's a couple shots where he looks (laughs) like he has like those googly guys, like googly eyes from our class. They just like they look so bad, or it's like the editing between scenes is so abrupt that Honestly. it like changes the mood, it like kills the mood. Like I remember there's a point where they're like they're driving a motorcycle comes in and their car comes in, and before they walk in the house, it goes like the screen like quickly fades, and they're just all of a sudden in the guy's house. Like I just got like a whiplash. It was so fast. I was like, oh my god. Oh, I feel like I've watched so many movies that do those kind of quick cuts that I don't think about them yeah but I'm, I'm talking about the 1950s web where how they do it specifically yeah. it's like that you know, like that really quick out fade in interesting i don't think i noticed it it's very noticeable to me see what like i notice audio more like oh, i think okay. a lot about like the soundtrack or like why are they playing this song here not so yeah, some of the sound the soundtrack choices were kind of hmm 
Really? I think the soundtrack is charming. I think every soundtrack is charming, but... Yeah, I think we both need a point about this. So do you want to get into like the World War II undertones? It's not undertones. It's like at the forefront of the movie. Yeah, it, it is It is the forefront of the movie. I, I think it's interesting because this is a post-World War II movie. So I would say that Godzilla is kind of painted as a sympathetic character-esque, especially when, when this film was uh, released in Japan. Somebody who had loved Japan, he's seen as like this, like a tragic character because, you know, mm-hmm because they um, did H-bomb testing, as they said in the film, where he lived, he was brought out of the cave to where he is, and now he's like, he was exposed to radiation, which is like a direct um, parallel to what happened to the Japanese people when they were bombed in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That's like interesting. And I also think it's interesting that he breathes. So at first I thought he was breathing fire. You know, he's breathing atomic, like atomic breath. It's atomic radiation he's breathing through his mouth. No, that makes sense. And kind of to this point, and I don't know if you wrote it down also, because I kind of avoided reading your notes. It's, I think it really represents how like over the decades, Godzilla tends to represent, you know, large societal fears. And of course that, you know, it changes in the King of Monsters, like the American adaptation, it changes, you know, in every future iteration of Godzilla, but there's still this core of like reflecting big fears. Yeah, I think it's also interesting because right before this movie came out, there was a fishing incident where if you guys didn't know, the U.S. was doing nuclear testing in the Bikini Atoll. If you guys don't know what the Bikini Atoll is, do you remember that island at the beginning of SpongeBob in the opening, that little tree island? That's the Bikini Atoll. So there's a whole theory about SpongeBob being radiation, but like that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, we can go into that later, but um. So the Japanese people who were fishing around them, they got the fish. It was covered in radiation. And all the, fi- like a bunch of fishermen got sick. One of them ended up dying of radiation poisoning. So this fear, even though they had just gotten over the, um, you know, they were getting over the, like the bombings, the aftermath. Now, like we could see that even testing it just had these horrible impacts on the environment. So that's like, like the fear is renewed when this movie is being made. So I also think that's interesting. And something I noted was how all four of the main characters have like different perspectives and like opinions in the movie about kind of like the nuclear-esque or how to handle Godzilla or they have different ambitions and goals, which I think was very interesting. So we have four main characters I consider Ogata, who his primary thing is he wants to kill Godzilla because, you know, he's causing all this havoc. He's kind of like a soldier. He's like a sailor. Yeah. So actually, I'm sorry. The Japanese Coast Guard was actually like in the movie and he's supposed to be one of the Coast Guard officers. He is a Coast Guard member. So then there's Emiko, who's the female lead, and she's kind of she has these two things. She wants to also end the destruction, but she's also in this love triangle between um Ogata and the other guy, the other male lead, which is Serizawa. Because she's in an arranged engagement to Zarizawa, but she's fallen in love with Ogata, which is like a subplot throughout the film. And I think it's something you would miss if you're not like used to Japanese romance because it's extremely subtle and it's only acknowledged maybe three times in the movie and it's not acknowledged that much. It's just said that there's like a secret that's happening. And if you're in the know, you know. Yeah, I totally missed it. And if you watch The King of Monsters like version they make it like really blatantly obvious in the dub version 
but if you're watching the Japanese version, like the original, it's so like it would have gone over my head if one of my like Japanese film professors like didn't tell me about it directly. Yeah, yeah I felt it was more hinted at because it was like, oh, there's this we need to tell him. We right. he deserves to know. Like right. or it was when um they get into like a fight and you don't even see the fight happen because there's like a fish tank, which is one of my favorite scenes is you don't even know what's happening. And <laughs> Ogata ends up getting his butt kicked by Serizawa and he's like there's blood on his face and she's like staring at him and then it's like you see Serizawa staring at them it's like oh he's jealous or he knows and then at the end he's like oh I give you guys my blessing treat her well like farewell it's kind of like those like the three times in the movie I feel like it was acknowledged see pardon the neighbor noises but for me I thought like Serizawa's like breaking point was like when he was watching you know the girls singing on the tv but it makes more sense if his breaking point was like with his own relationships in his own real life i think it's a combination of the two because it's him knowing she does not love him and it's also the fact that the girl he loves told a secret to someone another man who she's also in love with then there's all this destruction that she's basically going to hold him responsible for because he has a way to end this Right. Well, he also like he tells her such a big secret. How is she supposed to? Yeah, you know, I'm she, not saying she's in the wrong. Pressure. I think she was right. in double bind. Right. <laughs> See, Japanese movies love to do that to women. To be honest. Yeah, but I liked how he didn't like blame her. True. True. So I did think they handled like both the guys handled that part well. Kind I liked of. that she wasn't like treated badly in the love triangle. For, <laughs> for what it's worth, yeah. She wasn't Bella Swan. Personally, my favorite scene in the whole movie is when they're at the newspaper, the reporters are on the tower and Godzilla is approaching and, you know, they have all this time to flee because at first he's not next to them. So instead of, you know, climbing down the tower they're on, they keep flashing the camera lights so he notices them. And as he's approaching, they're like, oh, we're alive right now. We could die any second. Will he spare us? Will he not? will we end up dying like they say this in such positive voices and they end up getting killed and instead of like you know they're like goodbye everyone farewell enjoy this last like footage i was like these people they're like they're so like they made the reporters so ridiculous that was hilarious to me in all honesty i didn't like super focus this last time i watched the movie so i don't remember that super strongly but it makes sense what was your favorite scene i really like when Sarazawa like first shows Emiko the oxygen distrudoya. I, I love how they say it, A, but like B, I just love that scene because I felt like that was the first time I was like, oh, Sarazawa really does like her. You know? Also, he looks so good. He looks good, but when he like first first introduced and they like pan over him and you just see the eye patch and like, oh, he has a main character energy without even knowing who he is. Like I was like, oh, this is a main character. Oh, I thought his his first scene was you don't you don't necessarily see the eye patch, but you see like the sunglasses and like, yeah, but you can see the you can yeah. see the thing underneath the. So I could tell. I was like, cool. I was like, this is so weird. He's wearing sunglasses over an eye patch, and then they're talking about him on the boat. They're like, it's like oh, Sarazawa like came to say bye to us. It's like he was saying a final goodbye. Like the guy was making a joke to her, and she's like, oh, shut up. Like that was funny. Yeah, right, right. That was my my Discord icon for a while. Serizawa? With the sunglasses? Yeah. I might change it back. He's so pretty. That's not what this episode's about. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's just, like, something for Serizawa. <laughs> the movie. 
I also really liked the scene where um like they ring the bell, they alarm in the village, and then they go, instead of you know running away, they all go run up the hill to get a picture. And then yes. like only those three need to go up, right? No, right. the whole village comes and all the village is surprised when they see Godzilla and then they all the women. My favorite part of this movie is when the women are running, but half of them are also fainting running. So they're like, <gasps> like you know that Asian dramatic like faux pas faint where they're also they running at the same time. It's amazing. So the men, like half the men are supporting women running because the women are too busy fainting instead of running. Oh, and the one thing I want to say is these are my few minor critiques. As I mentioned, it's just the googly eye thing. And also the cut, like the editing, it was kind of like, it, it took me out a bit. But other than that, also when our car is lifted, it makes, the way they show the scene is I know that it's not an actual car, but it looks like a Lego block being, like sometimes it reminds me of like a Lego block being dropped with like some of the buildings and the trains, you know what I mean? Like how they like, the way they filmed it, it just looked like they took a big action, like a little car figure and they like made it bigger. They, they look kind of cartoonish. At yeah. Times, yeah. We were talking about this earlier, how like I never noticed that Godzilla had like the little googly eyes or anything. And I never noticed the editing either. But it is interesting, like how differently we watch mm. things, I guess. Yeah. What were some of the things you like liked and noticed about the film? I mean, I thought like I always pay attention to the soundtracks. I really like the soundtrack. I know you weren't the biggest fan. I also just love like. I love that like older movies really use silence like so well you Mm -hmm. know like there's these pauses where you can like tell what the character is thinking you know and I think that that's really cool the episode will be out by now but like it's one of the things like in afterlife too where like there's so many silent periods and it's like contemplated I like that a lot I also like it's kind of subtle because it's it was at the time where Japanese film didn't really show a lot of blood so a lot of the stuff was more implied like when they were fighting behind the fish tank or when it like you see like a character about a dive it's like it cuts away so it's like ambiguous right or even like when they see the oxygen destroyer they don't necessarily show the fish like dying they just show kind of like the aftermath kind of or like i like how it cut away like at first we only see it cuts away and then it goes back to her later when she's explaining it to him when we see the fish die it's like oh because right. at first it doesn't make sense when she leaves his office why she's all distraught right, right we don't know that the fish died so she's acting like she just you know went through the worst thing ever and you're all confused and later yeah. on it explains it i thought like something much worse happened first i mean it's so terrible like, oh. but oh that, that that's the only thing that didn't make a sense about this movie to me is okay this is a complete and utter plot hole so tell me if i'm wrong when we first see her dramatically walking up the stairway crying, when she does the flashback, she wasn't crying afterwards. She was just like, oh, why'd you make this? Okay, I'll keep it a secret. And she was all calm. Why did, when she left the office, all of a sudden she was distraught after seeing the dead fish when she was looking at it deadpan before? See, I think she was trying her best to like keep her cool around Sarazawa because I feel like there's kind of a stigma around that, you know? Like, yeah, I, I know. I just thought it was funny. Like, person. the flashback and that thing was so different. It's just kind of funny to me. It's like, okay, I wish I, like, I liked that it was a flashback because it was a cool way to do it. But mm-hmm. then the emotional tones are so different. It, it, I, if I knew it was not a flashback, I could read that as two completely different scenes. Yeah, we are 
we're a little bit past the intermission point. We'll see in post how it ends up. I haven't thought of a song, so I'll choose something later. And oh, and get ready for a quick ad. Yeah, this is my like third time watching this movie. Yeah, I watched it for the third time yesterday in preparation for this. I was washing the dishes, so I'm sorry. But the first time I watched it was for like a Japanese film class, and I took it last year. And we were also the same week we were assigned to watch Godzilla, we were assigned to watch King of Monsters, which is the Americanized version. It came out like two years after the first Godzilla. And King of Monsters is horrible. Like, let me tell you, it is like one of the most like ass movies I've ever seen. <laughs> but it made me appreciate the original Godzilla more, I guess, if nothing else. And I haven't seen any other like Godzilla movies past those two and we kind of went over a little bit on like societal fears things like that I think one of the interesting points and I really like this part of the movie like kind of towards the beginning they send out the coast Guard to the island right and they kind of like play anthropologist for a little while which I thought was kind of cool how they're like interviewing the town locals like not only about their experiences but about like the folklore of like, oh, we did this dance to ward off Godzilla. We would sacrifice a young girl. We would, you know, do all these things. And aside from that being like anthropologically of interest, I think it's also super interesting to see how Emiko post-World War II is wearing khakis, well-fitted khakis. No, don't laugh. <laughs> slay your slay. No, because like the slow transition we had in the class was like slowly seeing people dress more like westernized. And I thought that was like really interesting. You know, she has privileges being a professor's daughter, but I, I liked how she was so close. One of my favorite things I, I noticed is remember that reporter who comes who wants to meet um her and her fiance? He comes into the room and doesn't acknowledge how close she is to the other guy who's clearly not her fiance because he's not supposed to meet with him and no one just questions it. I think it's so funny. It's like, because uh, you know, like a lot of the time Jap in real life, Japanese women, like it's kind of more liberating now, but they're usually not that touchy-feely. She was right. kind of close to the other man and no one kind of acknowledges it, which I thought was kind of funny for a Japanese film. It's not, it's not like hyper-focusing on, like she has close platonic and romantic relationships with men and it's not like overly analyzed in the film which I think is interesting right like we said earlier with like the romance was so subtle you could have just thought she was good friends with either of them which I think is good because right one thing that's really annoying in films is when they overdo the romance when it's not a romance film like if it if it's your character's identity is only that they're like a romantic object to someone they're not interesting yeah I forget what else I wanted to say. I don't know. I really like the last scenes where, oh, I can't spoil it. Like the ending of the movie is just like so good. Like chef's kiss, like beautiful. You'll get to spoil it later because I have a question about that. And, and I don't oh. like an ending discussion. Okay. So we'll, we'll say spoiler at the end. Yeah, that's fair. The last point I wrote down is that like one of the reasons I keep coming back to this movie isn't because it's like, societal fears it isn't because of like it's kind of a comforting movie to watch for me but Sarazawa or the actor who plays Sarazawa is so pretty we were talking about it earlier I the first time I watched the movie I was like oh my god who is this guy and so I looked it up 
and the actor's name is Akihiko Hirata, but unfortunately he died in 1984, and in his career, though he was in a bunch of other movies, he was also in King Kong versus Godzilla, Son of Godzilla, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, and Terror of Mechagodzilla. Yeah, he had like a really large prolific career past the Godzilla movies, but those are just some of the ones he was in. And when you look at him in his older photos, he kind of looks like the KFC guy. But you know, yeah. Do you want to do the last two discussion? Uh, the last two discussion questions I have, and then we can put a spoiler warning here in case you haven't seen the film. This these are like two spoilery aspects. So the first question I have for you, Misha, because I'm also thinking about this: At what cost is it worth studying Godzilla? And do you side with Doctor? Yamame or Ogata in that should we should they have kept Godzilla if they could have somehow captured him alive or because he was such a threat and he had already caused so much destruction he killed so many people should he have been killed and do you think there was a way they could have captured him because of how strong he was like he struck through an electric fence an electrified fence like there's like the the idea of like this inherent tragedy of Godzilla right where like he shouldn't really exist in the way he does anyways so it feels like your only answer is to like kill him even if that's not ideal but I think they would have the movie would have been so much shorter if they just killed him like off the bat but also I think Dr. Serizawa could have been smart enough to like create something that wouldn't have just killed him but would have like paralyzed or stunned him maybe to me I felt I felt like he was already suffering because of the radiation from the age bombs I kind of felt like killing him was humane you know that makes sense yeah like i know he wasn't like dying from it right away because they said he was invincible but that had to cause you some pain like in my head well and i don't know it felt like they were kind of downplaying sarazawa's like smarts like why make him a doctor if he Mm -hmm. only like invented something off screen he could have i think he could have made something but the movie's not about him yeah so So, this next question is about sarazawa specifically could you have done Sarazawa's sacrifice at the end of the film? I'm afraid of drowning. If it were a different way of dying, then maybe. And yeah. he dies with the bomb, so not necessarily. No, he cut. He doesn't die because of the bomb. He dies because he cut off the air supply. Well, he cut off his air supply, and the bomb was going off. Yeah, so it whatever killed him first. I don't. I don't know. I feel like the oxygen destroyer death would have been quicker. Because <laughs> you see how quickly it kills the fish. Yeah. So I think like, yeah, maybe I could handle that. Yeah, I think I think I could do it. I, I agreed with what he did. Like I agreed with destroying the notes. Right. And like I said earlier, it makes him prettier in the end. Also, I don't realize how she did not realize he was gonna do that because I figured that out as soon as he had committed to the thing. He literally mm-hmm. said he could not that they would torture him to find out the info. So there's no way he was going to be alive once he committed to her plan. Like she didn't, I don't think she realized that by asking him to do this, she was essentially making him sacrifice himself because he had said yeah. he wouldn't, he, that the, he said once he introduced this, the secret that this was going to die with him unless he can make it into a positive right, thing, which right. he hadn't done yet. No, for real. Like she was basically asking him to die. I, I don't know. I'm kind of salty that Ogata lived also. I think both of them should have gone, but like, Serizawa's death is objectively cooler. So. I agree, but I also like Ogata. I think he's cute too. 
no <laughs> such different tastes <laughs> only one agreement so far I think we've known each other for like a year and a half Misha you know that my type is just aesthetically good looking and then they gave me like he's oh. not pretty he is ah. like when he stood up to her Asian dad butterflies butterflies See, but that's like a personality mm. thing he's not like face every time that they were running from danger he was protecting her first all I'm saying but anyways, anyways, this was getting kind of rambly, but I appreciate you guys listening to it. Um, this might or might not be our last episode on Radio DePaul. But we may be coming out with a new show. So right. keep up to date on our Instagram and we'll announce if we're doing it or not. This is like still like pre, pre, pre-development. So you have zero idea. Anything yeah. you want to say on that, Misha? Please look out for that. Um We'll still be releasing episodes of Death Apology with whatever like Rio DePaul project we do next. So look out for those. Our merch is out. It's mostly stickers. I think they're really cute, but I designed them. So, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Instagram and our Tumblr are both at Death Apology. That is D E A T H R O P O L O G Y. Thanks for listening. Bye. Shout out to Emmanuel because I know you listen.